Katie and this is That Grief Relief Podcast. If you're new to the podcast, this is a very light-hearted, open-hearted conversation about grief. There is no right or wrong way to deal with grief. Now, whilst I might be at a certain stage of my grief process, my guests might be at another stage of their grief process, you might be at a completely different stage of your grief, or you might not have experienced grief at all. I'm not here to offend, I'm here to hopefully put a smile on your face, whether you're going through something right now or not. Welcome to another episode of that Grief Relief Podcast. My name is Katie Overy. Don't know why I needed to say that. The name is on the title and the artwork, and I've already spoken anyway. Um, I'm a bit delirious, actually, because it's a Zoom recording, because I'm I'm on Zoom. Our guest today is from Chicago in the States, and it is 10.15 in the evening here in Dubai, but I've managed to grab hold of Crystal in the middle of her working day. How are you, Crystal? I'm so, I'm so good. I'm so happy to be here with you. Yeah. I'm really, I'm really happy to have you on because it was, I'm going to paint a picture for you if you're listening now. Is oh, that, I, love <laughs> I reached out to, I reached out to Crystal because um, Crystal had posted about ambiguous grief and disenfranchised grief on Instagram. So I reached out to Crystal and it, it's never an easy subject to broach. I was like, hi, Crystal, hope you don't mind me asking, but you seem open about this subject. I have this podcast. I was wondering, this, then this reply comes from Crystal going, oh my God, this is amazing. <laughs> like, she's just so excited. Crystal, why? Why are you so excited to talk about this? Because, um, well, I am finally ready to talk about it, first of all, because I think it's a different kind of grief in that I needed time to like sit with it in order to, I, if you would have asked me like two years ago, I would have been like, I don't want to talk about anything. But then when things start happening and the world keeps moving, and I think with this pandemic too, everything, you know, compounds. And I just like, was always looking for my voice and I found it through social media and you know how you're trying to like get people to listen to you on social media and you feel like you're like posting the posts and you're doing the algorithms you're on I'm on TikTok now because of this because I was like I need to find an audience and then when so you're searching for an audience and then when someone's like I want to interview you for my podcast on grief I'm I, to be honest, like how you worded your DM, I was like, I'm not even, I don't even need to listen to an episode. I like, I'm first of all, I'm mad that I, I'm not already listening to it because they're hard to find. Grief is not a subject everyone likes to talk about. And I ended up making that my focus in school. So I was in grad school and a lot of this happened. And so grief tended to be my approach to um, therapy. I like work a lot in grief and loss. So everything just like compounded and I'm like I, I hold so much information and I just like there's so much way to make there's so many ways to make community out of telling our stories so I like the more that I meet people like there's a woman I just met on TikTok and we have like almost the exact same story and I'm she's like one of my favorite people now because I'm how would I have ever found her without TikTok you know <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's the thing. And because uh, just if you're listening and not watching on YouTube, Crystal and I have a bit of a strange connection on Zoom. So I'm actually nodding, but I don't want to say anything and give give uh, agreeing that I am listening because it cuts her off her audio, and I don't want to do that. So yeah, I and, and that's and that's it. Like, thank you so much for your kind words, sort of initially. But you, you're absolutely right. It's like 
you know, when I've been speaking to some of the some of the guests, some of them they come to my house here in in Dubai, and some of them I meet on Zoom, and it's amazing the amount of people like, yeah, can't wait to talk about this, and I'm like, really? Um, so to come on here now and see like your amazing bubbly face and your beautiful, and it's got this, like so. I'm gonna, Crystal's got this huge curly hair, and she's covered in tattoos that we've already had a, a chat about, and we're gonna hear more about. And she just has this beaming smile, and I'm like, cool. We're gonna talk about grief. You know, it's what? it's a really, really <laughs> weird one. Okay, so. I, I'm not even going to lead into the post that I reached out to you on Instagram for. I'm just going to say, Crystal, Renee, Drake, can you tell me your story? <laughs> um, yeah. So I was born in 1983 to my parents who were like 18 and 20 at the time ish, you know, really young parents in the, in the early eighties. Um, my dad's parents were, um, very religious. My grandfather was a pastor of a church and my grandmother worked very closely with him, um, and also ran a restaurant. Um, my grandma has a history, had a history of, um, working in orphanages when she was my age, when she was younger. So I always love to add that part. Like when you hear what happens next. So my, my mom had me when she was very young, um, she left when I was a baby, um, she left and came back. And then my sister was born. Um, I just put the story together in bits and pieces because you hear it so much when you're little, you just get used to it. And then yeah. I went a long period of time without even talking about it. And here I am now like <laughs> on a podcast, <laughs> like trying to piece it together. <laughs> um, so then my sister was born and my mom left. Um, so the story goes and left my dad with two little girls in the upper peninsula of Michigan. I think they lived outside of a town called paradise. Um, which is really funny. I like to do a lot of art about it because like paradise for most people is a beautiful place, but paradise for me is a place where there's a lot of generational trauma, a lot of like ancestral things. Um, my mom's family is also native, um, but I'm not connected to that side of my family because of her leaving when I was a baby and all of their generational trauma and things that communicate, like I'm seen as an outsider. I'm seen as like, I think I'm better than everyone because I was raised by my dad's parents who right. had money. They were white, you know? So like we can figure out that I had a lot of privilege in that and how I was raised, mm. you know? So I was able to get an education. Um, we still like struggled. I mean, you can imagine like living off of social security checks, grandparents are raising kids and my dad is in and out of work and things so and helping he lived next door growing up um yeah so my mom ended up getting really sick when I was in graduate school so like fast forward you know I was raised by my grandparents beautiful childhood grew up in a church in a restaurant and like on Lake Superior, like I learned how to swim at Pendles Creek. It's the most beautiful beach in the entire world. If anyone wow. ever goes there. So you had an amazing <laughs> upbringing. Amazing grandparents. You know, like I said, my grandma worked in an orphanage. So beautiful. I had a little sister, you know, um, and then I got older and I went to school to become an art therapist because my grandmother who had raised me had dementia and I was helping take care of her at the end of her life. And with my dad's sister and my dad, and um, so I was of the age, you know, to like help out. And this mm -hmm. was the woman who had devoted whole life, the end of her life to like helping me, you know, grandparents starting over again, you know, with a baby. Um, yeah. 
so she ended up passing away when I was in undergrad. So in university, she passed away. And then I went on to go to grad school after she died to become an art therapist because I saw how much art therapy helped um, older adults um, with Alzheimer's. That was my initial, like, this, this is amazing. I want to do this. I'm an artist. Mm. I finally figured it, you know, quit bartending and we're going to go to school. I ended up still bartending, you know, throughout school because it's amazing. And bartenders are also therapists. So that helped a lot. With <laughs> yeah. a lot. Yeah, I would use that in my interviews sometimes for, um, cause most of my work history was industry. And I was like, but I'm a, I'm a good bartender. Like I, mm. you know, have done the things. Um, so, and listen to the problems and the things and the people and given advice anyway. So my grandparents actually died on the same day, 14 years apart, which is another fun part of my story that I love oh to gosh. tell. Cause I've, yeah, we like to say it's like the notebook, but with like a to be continued because my grandma wanted to see my sister and I like grow up more. Um, unfortunately she missed my sister's wedding, but she got to meet like my nephews and stuff. So that was really sweet. And, um, yeah, so I had death a lot in my family. Um, this tattoo says love and okay. it's the first tattoo I got. And it was the last thing that my grandfather said to me. So I was there when he, he was die- actively dying too, which was really beautiful and to have those memories. He died when I was in high school. So like my life, like started very early, like me and grief and loss, um, because my family got it. Like they understood that they couldn't hide it from me. Like death is inevitable. And like, we're going to bring Crystal to the funeral. We're going to involve her in funeral planning. I remember picking out flowers and I make a lot of art about like why we give people flowers when they die. Like, I think that's such an interesting topic. People, another thing. And it's a strange one. Sorry to interrupt is that now there's a lot of um, funerals where people say no flowers. Yeah. Yeah we would do that too we would put like in lieu of flowers yeah and I made some of that too because that's the only time I ever had read the phrase in lieu of I remember asking my dad I was like what does in lieu of mean like what <laughs> when we're you're writing obituaries and stuff it's so funny to think about that but I have a memory of writing obituaries in high school um yeah it's yeah. not your usual high school memory that's for sure that's but yeah <laughs> But so, yeah, I assumed a lot of responsibilities, you know, with them being older and I helped, you know, helped out a lot and went on to be an art therapist. So again, with the flowers, I was actually in a class with one of my favorite teachers, Leslie Holly Reagan. She is an amazing art therapist and I was lucky to have her as a supervisor. And the assignment was for our lifespan class and we had to make art about grief, death, the end of life kind of assignment so you had to make art about it write a paper about it you know because you're an art therapist so you're like books and art so like yeah. people sometimes art school is easier it's actually harder because <laughs> we have to like not only do all the research and all the APA style writing on top of it I'm also like making a pillow and staying up all night so that's what I did for that project was a pillow and I started working on it at the you know beginning of the semester because I was like I know what I'm gonna make this is my favorite assignment like totally up my alley finally we're gonna talk about grief and loss because again you don't really talk about that a lot in school which really disappointing and caused me a lot more grief because I was surrounded by therapists during this time too. So my teachers are art therapists. They're also like some of the best art therapists. I hate to say like that, not that there's better, but like I went to the school of the art Institute of Chicago. Like I had like 
an idea that this was going to be an amazing experience. And it ended up being one of the most difficult experiences of my life because I was going through. So my mom died, her brother died, my grandparents, her parents both died all within like a year and a half while I was working as a therapist. So your internship, when you're a therapist, you're not just getting people coffee. You're like starting groups. I was doing grief groups. I was working and I was setting up. (laughs) Sorry. It's funny to think about. I laugh about it now. Um, I was setting up a, an art therapy program in the neurology unit of presence resurrection medical center here in Chicago. It's now Amita, but I was trying to like start an art therapy program at that hospital while this is all going on. And I'm in school. And I'm also like bartending and helping like manage a restaurant on the weekends. Cause like, I don't have the financial support because my mom is that like, she left, like yeah. she's never going to help. You know, my dad doesn't have the financial means at the time to help me. My grandparents are gone. Like I've had to do it on my own forever, you know? So I'm bar. I have to work. And your teachers are like, well, maybe you just don't work too much. And I'm like, but how do I survive then? So you're caught in like that. And were you living on your own at this point? Or were you still living with your father or was it? Oh, I was living on my own, but I had living on your own. Okay. But, but, but totally independent, self-sufficient kind of thing. Yeah. And my partner, I will just add, I don't want to say anything rude, but he ended up having an affair when my mom died. And I'm sharing that not to throw him under the bus because that's not what this is. And we have a lot of mutual friends still. So I want to like, definitely say like my mom dying. Yes, it was a part of that. And no, I don't take responsibility for him having an affair, but looking back, you have to like take the whole picture. Like I'm never even home. Like, I'm just trying to get through grad school. And then I found out my partner, he told me that he had an affair when my mom died. And I was just like, wow. Like, I didn't even know with someone I knew. And I like had no idea because it's like, how do you, you're so, I was not taking care of myself, clearly. (laughs) Um, And then I found out that I needed to have a hysterectomy, which I wanted but my endometriosis was so bad. And I was like in and out of the hospital, like just bleeding really bad. Again, no one ever wants to talk about that. So you just keep it inside and your doctors are like, you're going to be fine. And meanwhile, they're looking at like ultrasounds of my abdomen and their faces were like shocked. Like they would, they like how your face looks right now, like kind of like cry. That's how they would look at my um, ultrasound screen while I'd be like on the table and they'd be doing an ultrasound because I was having such bad periods. Mm. And they'd be like, you know, it'll be fine. It, you're going to be fine. And I ended up getting, finding a doctor. I had to find a doctor who would do it. He's amazing. He's one of the best surgeons. I was so privileged to have him. Um, and I had insurance because I was in school. And in order to go to the School of the Art Institute, they charge you for health insurance. So thank God or whoever the universe that I was in that position at that time, because I had like three weeks left of school while I'm writing my thesis on my mom dying. Because <laughs> then I chose to write my thesis on it because that's me. I love research and writing. And I was like, oh, I'll just write my thesis on my mom dying because I know that well I was I was I remember being in my studio typing and just crying and being like I'm so sick of this piece like I hated my thesis my thesis advisor and I weren't getting along 
everyone wanted me to talk about how I was more about how I was, my mom was indigenous in my thesis, but like, I didn't know. And I felt like it was being exploited, yeah. you know, cause it's like, I want to come into the um, picture of be identifying as native when I don't know anything about being native. I'd love to know if anyone listening to this can help me. Like, that's another thing I'm also for because I just have what it says on her death certificate because my aunt won't talk to me because we had a political disagreement. So she has two sisters, but one doesn't like me at all and asked for my mom's urn back while I was leaving her funeral with it. No one wanted to dump my mom's ashes. My brother, I have a half brother. <laughs> I don't mean it. to laugh. I don't mean to laugh. Carry oh, on. Carry no, this is so good. This is why I want to talk about it. Because this happens, you know, when we don't talk about it. And I'm sitting here I eating my sweet potato fries, like I said, that just I, arrived. But Crystal I, said, please eat your dinner. Please eat. Oh, okay. I did. And I love sweet potato fries. I would pull over on the side of the road for sweet potato fries if they were on a sign. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so you said you went back. Your aunt stopped you leaving with your mum's urn. And then you said something about your half brother. <laughs> Yeah, I have a half brother. So my mom had another baby. Um, he was born and I didn't know about him till he was older and we met a few times. He's super cool or he was super cool until my mom died. He took responsibility for caring for her because she raised him and he, and he understood. He was cool at first. He was like, you know what? You don't need to do anything. Like it's already too much. I called her once when she was in the nursing home, but all she wanted to do was talk about him and ask me if I was married and if I was like, had a boyfriend and I was like trying to figure out if I was queer or not at the time, you know, like, it's just one of my God, this is just, this is just <laughs> mental. Like I nearly and choked I on a sweet potato fry. <laughs> we love it. I remember my last phone conversation with my mom. I was on the phone in Chicago traffic. I know you're not supposed to be, but it was speakerphone. And you know, when you're stuck in traffic and I was like, what the hell? I'll just give her one call to see. I heard she was in a nursing home and I was on my way home from my internship. And I was like, we'll see how this goes. And I called her and my mom still talked to her death. Like she was 18. So like she stopped maturing after I was born immediately. And we know this now through like, science and like yeah. <laughs> the body keeps the score all these things but like it's true when I would my I would call my mom and I would say hi mom I heard you're not feeling very well Jonathan said you're in the hospital and she was like oh my god they took my car away from me you wouldn't believe it I need to get out of here and I'm like in traffic and I know that she's actively dying I know that she needs a liver transplant mm -hmm. but she's not going to get one because they don't give liver transplants to people who have substance use issues History. or I don't like okay. oh, yeah yeah and like that was because she I mean we can trace it back everyone always told me she was young and stupid but I mean if we look at the facts she was a young mother yeah she stopped maturing after I was born because of science and because of biology and like trauma you know my grandpa wasn't the nicest person in the world I heard I found I don't know I wasn't there but I heard that he like was pretty abusive to my grandmother when he was younger and drinking and my grandmother would bring my mom out to come sit with her when my grandpa would come home from the bar and that's all anyone would tell me so like I don't know what happened but 
I like, I know what happened, you know? Like, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's this weird thing. My sister described it perfectly. I called my sister after. So I actually finished the project that I had in that class. I finished sewing my pillow for death, my death project, put it down, went to bed, shut off the light. My dad called me and he said, your mom died. And I said, of course she did. And then he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yes, I'm fine. So then I called my sister and I said, are you okay? And she's like, it's just that it's like, maybe someday we'll never come. Cause it was always like, you knew that she was never going to show up for us ever. Cause there were a million, she did show up for my high school graduation. And I ended up being mad that she was there because I didn't want her there, Yeah, yeah, yeah. but where you wish that she would show up and she couldn't and she didn't and you know and then when my sister said it's like maybe someday will never happen it was like it was that and she took it with her because she died like she it's almost like she got the last word too yeah you're angry so I still get angry about it and people are always like you need to and I'm a therapist like everyone's always like you need to work on your anger when it comes to grief and I'm like how though <laughs> like she literally got the last word too and then yeah. she's like so like I'm maybe I just am angry sometimes about it and that's why I love thinking about grief as like an ebb and flow instead of a linear thing because it leaves room for me being upset still yeah absolutely like we talk about grief a lot on this podcast in terms of it's not linear and if anything it's just this squiggly mess and you just oh. gotta try and <laughs> work work your way through it a a friend of mine gave a really good analogy about how it feels like spaghetti in your head and the reason why she said spaghetti she said because it's always moving and so once I try and pinpoint where I am or how I'm feeling and that bit of spaghetti's moving and you're like oh my god because you can you can visualize that right right I can tell as soon as you said spaghetti but I was like yes and then you said but it's moving And it's exactly like spaghetti that's moving or when you're driving on a highway and you know, that have all the overpasses and all the cars are going every way. It's like, those are all the grief emotions and like, you never know what one you're going to get. Like, it's just this morning. Right. And this has never happened to me. Well, stuff like this happens to me a lot. I'm not going to (laughs) lie, but I found I'm unpacking. I moved back to Chicago last year. So I was unpacking and I, found my parents photo album the other day and I picked it up today to show a friend who was over and this picture fell out and it's a picture of my mom when she was pregnant with me at the wedding and I was like my friend was like you look just like her and I'm like that's so true like thank you because like I don't know who she was but like I look like her so like I don't know like what does that mean and that's my only connection to her is like that I look like and how Here. do you how do you feel when you saw that and then when someone said that to you? When I saw the picture, I was like, oh my God. She's like in the picture, she's wearing this really gaudy 80s with the hat wedding dress. And she's holding her stomach and her mouth is open like a baby kicked her. So she was pregnant when I was born and she had to get married because my dad's parents, you know, pastor of a church, son. 1983, you just got married. Like they don't really look that happy in all their pictures, to be honest. It's kind of funny. <laughs> I was dead at the picture of them standing at the altar because my mom has resting bitch face like I do really bad. <laughs> and my dad looks like kind of excited and scared. <laughs> and, and, um, oh, and then my chair broke. Um, 
part is going to get right back up. But yeah, to see that picture of her, I was like, oh my God, this is like, I don't have any pictures of us. I have another one where she's holding me, but she looks like she's scared of me. She right. has like that disgusting face and it's postpartum depression. Yeah. We weren't really talking about that in 1983. Not that it's an excuse. I'm not excusing her for any behavior, but understanding more about mental health and generational trauma and even colonialism has like really opened up my mind to my history and how everything is connected and with my identity of being biracial and everything it's like holy you know like excuse my language but like I'm just like everything is so connected and here I am trying to figure it out with like a photograph you know or like a hashtag (laughs) <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, and gosh, I'm I'm grateful for that hashtag. So, hang on, I've got so, I'm using an expression that my friend Claire will kill me for. There's a lot to unpack here, Crystal. Um, yeah, but I want to yeah. start. Let's 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 start because obviously it's extremely serious. Um, yeah. I've eaten my sweet potato fries too seriously. Um, your hysterectomy and and what have you—that's extremely serious, and I definitely definitely want to speak about that. I just want to try and work out some timelines with your mum. So you you were born in 83. uh, Your mum sort of went, came back. You had your little sister. When was your sister born? 84. Oh, fine. Okay, so super close. Then she went when you were how old, do you think? Right after Danielle was born, I was told. So I was probably like an infant. Like there's a story that tells yeah that I was an infant and he came home from the bar and my mom wanted to go out but couldn't find a babysitter so she put newspapers in my crib to keep me busy and went out to the bar and my dad came home from work and found me in my crib with newspapers and I was in he's like you were this baby and you were just covered in black ink and it's like become a joke in our family but like I now I have a material to work with because I'm an art therapist and like or just an artist. I, I use newspaper in some of my projects because of that yeah. memory. So my goodness. Okay. So she was always <laughs> she was again, we're not excusing her behavior, but obviously I, I don't know her. So she was clearly a, a you know, whatever, troubled woman for whatever reason. She's yeah. got I mean, she has to be troubled to to leave her children. Exactly. Uh, so that's uh, that's that. Um and then this is where, because forgive me, the, the high school and undergrad and everything, I, I can't work out the ages because obviously you have a different academic system. So uh, how old were you then when you first found out that your mother was suffering from dementia yeah. uh, or Alzheimer's? Sorry, was it under dementia? My grandmother started to get Alzheimer's when I was, so I had just around the time when I turned 30. So like right around Hang my on. 30th. Oh, it was your grandmother that had Alzheimer's. Yeah. My what did mom your mom die of? Uh, substance use. So she was a big drinker a lot. And I don't know what kind of drugs, but it's kind of funny because when you grow up in a small town, you meet people and they're like, we didn't know Kim had kids. We used to party with your mom all the time. And I would say, well, what'd you guys do? And they'd be like, well, we're not going to tell you. Like, you don't need to know. And if I knew that they were drinking and they would tell me, but they wouldn't tell me the other stuff. So like, you're, I mean, use your imagination, yeah. you know, if she's like so much that she dies, like, I'm sure that wasn't the only, she smoked a lot too. I smoked. So whenever I see Newport, I always think of her. How old were you? And then in turn, how old was your mom when she passed away? Her late fifties. I was in my early thirties. I really right. can't honestly 
off the top right. of my head remember her, okay I was like 34 and who was, was the who was the first person to pass away in that you know that period yeah my grandma so I was really close with my grandma um because she was your your grandma's you know your little I was the oldest granddaughter on both sides I was a surprise you know <laughs> like my parents didn't really know each other very long also before they got married like very quickly I came For and sure. then they got you know yeah it's so good I love it um my uh grandma died that I happened to be home for something else. And I remember I got to see her one more time. She was on hospice. So it was like a long, beautiful end. And my sister's best friend from high school, her mom was the hospice nurse. So like I Mm. knew everyone in the room. It was really beautiful. My grandpa was helping a lot. He really took really good care of her in the end of life. Um, Yeah, she died. And then I went back up for the funeral. And then my mom died around Thanksgiving. And then her brother died right at the beginning of the new year. So right after Christmas, my uncle Dan died also of the same thing, also of substance use. So I have a cousin, Lindsay, who is amazing, but I don't really know her um, because she was also estranged from him, you know? So it's like, and she also processed it a lot differently in front of our family. She was very visibly grief stricken where I was like walking around, like introducing myself to people at my mom's funeral because some people didn't know who I was. And I would the place where I have gone back to and people, I remember being at a bar there one time and I was like, yeah, my mom was Kim Skeens. And they're like, Kim didn't have any daughters. And I was like, yeah, I have a sister too. And they would leave me because she was such a party girl you know and everyone talks about how sweet she was and I would be like stop saying that like she wasn't that sweet if she had two daughters that she like didn't even call in their birthday you know like give me some space in this conversation so this may be another reason why I love talking about it like my mom's sister found a Facebook post of mine and like commented really mean things and called me like a piece of shit because I said that my mom left when I was a baby and I was having issues with it like that's just the kind of attitude that that family has always had towards me with the exception of one of my aunts who I'm not speaking with because of political differences, because I am a queer person, you know, and I just have to put up boundaries with people. And unfortunately it's with her because she's like my last person in that family. But you know, at the end, I did pretty good without all of them. So But when I left the funeral, I heard that everyone was talking about how I wasn't, I didn't present as grief stricken as like my cousin Lindsay or even my sister. Like, I don't think my sister cried. I remember kind of laughing because there was a poster board with butterflies and pink glitter on it that one of her cousins made. And it was pictures of her holding her kids that I had never seen before. So there was pictures of my mom and I at her funeral that I had never seen before. And it was like painting this picture of like, look at her beautiful life with her kids. And I was, I point, I grabbed my sister. <laughs> and I was like, Danielle, get over here. And she was like, what? And I was like, look it. And she was like, don't do it, Crystal. Don't say anything. Cause she like, my sister knows that I'm going to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> but I didn't cause my grandpa was there. He was at okay. the funeral for me and her brother. You know, I didn't want to make a scene like they do. Um, My grandpa had just lost two of his kids and his wife. 
and he could barely sit through the funeral because he was also dying himself at the time. Like we knew that he was, he had COPD and some other things also to take very good care of himself when he was younger also didn't have a lot of education, you know? So like, there are so many factors when I think about, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And I'm like, well, don't, it's not really about that. It's like about a bigger picture of like mm. the world and how we need to change things. <laughs> so you're, yeah, crikey. And so your sister, does she have similar views to you? No, no. Um, that's what I was going to say. I love my sister. And if she's ever listens to this, I hope that she knows that. Um, and I use her name with love and care, um, because I do care about her. So she's like my little baby almost, you know, like we didn't have a mom. I had this little blonde haired, blue eyed baby and like shared a room with, yeah, we don't get along. Sometimes we actually got into a fight recently and didn't talk to each other for a little bit of a while, but like two girls, you know, like we're so different. My sister just doesn't really talk about my mom. And that's okay. Like we used to do it together. Like we didn't even say the word mom. I probably didn't say the word mom until like six months after my mom died. Really? So like, like a, like even to say mom this much is weird for me to say. Yeah. So. I'm not surprised. Cause did you, mom uh, obviously you said you, you um, were raised by your grandparents and what have you. Did you, did your dad ever have another partner? Did you have any kind of female figure from that side? Yeah, I had a few moms named Kim. So my mom's name was Kim. And then I had a stepmom named Kim when I was in like third grade. This is it gets better. And then there was this woman that lived with us with her two sons and her name was Kim. So it was like Kim number one, Kim number two. And Kim- <laughs> there was a lot that I'm going through now as like a 38 year old woman. It's so fun. Cause it's like this freedom, like it's so much freedom of like being like, I'm living by myself. I'm single. I love being single. I didn't realize how needed it was for me to like process everything while I was single. Cause it's just like, like you said, it's like angst, but like, I feel my friend, my best friend always tells me that it's like watching me go through my rebellious teenage years. Cause I'm like, I'm going to wear a crop top. I'm going to get another tattoo. I'm going to get my nose pierced. But I'm also like 38. So like the family that I nanny for, I think they're so sweet, but I think they were like a little surprised when they met me in person because I'm like, you know, I'm an art therapist. I'm like super serious. And then when you meet me, you find that I'm really just like this imaginary person (laughs) going through her like very friend for most of my life too. When I was a, when I was a child, not most of my life, but like most of my childhood, I should say. Really? Um, Which I think got me. I really I want to look at resilience in trauma or just even trauma and in relationship to the imagination because Mm. it got me through like maybe I was dissociating maybe it was like an actual unicorn that got me through that day of not having a mom you know so yeah I mean certainly with the imaginary friends I mean drop dead Fred one of the greatest films in the world but (laughs) Uh, you know, having imaginary friends and of co- it's, it has to be, I mean, I'm not a specialist, but it has to be some kind of coping mechanism for something else. Has, yeah. yeah, I can't, I can't look at my life and say that that's not true. I can only like see how clearly it happens. Mm. Like that I was 
school of the art institute of chicago being taught by art therapists when i was experiencing four deaths like yeah they didn't really know what to do with me i didn't even know my partner didn't know what to do with me. <laughs> like no one knew and like but i was still like i was in an art bubble you know i was like in a program to like you know make art and do art and like the museum access to everything like i was if you believe in like a higher power, like I believe that that was why I was in that environment. I thought I was there to be a therapist. I'm taking a break from like being a therapist now and like processing a lot more of this and just being a nanny and maybe working at a cute restaurant part-time, you know? And Yeah, I really mean, it's, it's interesting time. because I was going to ask you about, <clears throat> you know, whether all these wonderfully profound questions, you know, did this art like help you through your grief and did you this and did you that? But it was the fact that you were there already and these things then happened yeah. to you. I mean, there's very much yeah. a whole, I, I, I'm a real believer of, oh, all of my lights just went out. <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> Thank you very much, Ikea lights. Two seconds. Uh, <laughs> I need to press this button and do something on here and turn my lights back on. Da, 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 da. Yeah. Okay. Um, because you were, the, I, I'm, a, I'm a real believer of everything happens for a reason. So yeah, it's like really interesting yeah. that it was almost right. as if, okay, you're there already. She's got her coping mechanisms. So, and sorry, I've now gone on two tangents myself. No, it's, almost as if, it's almost <laughs> as if it's sort of gone. Yeah. It's almost as if it's sort of gone. She's in a good place. We know she can handle it. So let's kind of, let's do everything and then hopefully it will be whatever. But then as I'm saying that, I know that you then had, you know, the, the hysterectomy come afterwards. Um, <laughs> so I was like, but, yeah, right. I don't really know where to start with that. Did you grieve your mum? There was one day where I would say that I like grieved her one specific day and it was and I'll tell you about it really quickly um because it involves my brother um and why we're no longer speaking so I like I said I was doing that art therapy program and I was really busy and I was at I was at my internship that day so I was a therapist that day going room to room to people to do art therapy they were in the hospital for brain injury it was I loved the work that I was doing and I was I remember I was switching art supplies in my bag and I got a phone call and it was from a number I didn't recognize. And for some reason I answered it. I normally don't, but I was like, I'll just answer it. And um, it was from a funeral home in Michigan. And the man was very upset with me. And I was like, whoa, 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 what's going on? And he said, everyone, he's like, people like you that do this makes me very upset. He's like, your family member has sat on our shelf through the holiday season and we need to get you to pick up her remains. And I was like, my brother said that he took care of everything. All oh I had to do was sign a piece of paper. And that was the day that I grieved her was the day that I signed her cremation papers to like read the death certificate, to read her name, to sign off that it was done. I remember I just like it was this cry that I had never cried before and it hurt so bad. And it was like, you wanted someone there, but you knew that no one would ever be able to hold space for you. So you had to figure out how to do it for yourself. And I don't know if that goes from her like years of coping without her that I was mm. able to do that, but I will never forget that cry. It was so intense and it was like, it 
was like, we talk about like gut wrenching cries. It was like a full body, like wrenching cry, you know, like my whole body hurt. And I was like, oh, I really was connected to her. Like I was in her body for nine months. Duh. She's no longer here physically. Something shifted. And now I'm reading. Now I'm reacting. So my brother didn't pick up her ashes. So then I, I apologized to the man on the phone. I told him the whole story. He apologizes to me. He's like, I had no idea. I, he was so sorry. Um, so my aunt, my mom's sister and I were talking at the time, the one that was nicer to me for a while. And she um, called my grandfather. And apparently my grandfather had given my brother money to pick up the ashes because you have to pay for it. Clearly she didn't have any money, blah, 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 blah. Luckily she didn't have a bunch of debt. Everything was taken care of. But my brother kept the money and didn't pay for the ashes and didn't pick them oh, up. Oh, no. And this is the yeah. half-brother that had been caring for your mom? Yeah, and had been going to the nursing home. And she raised him when he was a, went to all his stuff, did all the things. And then my grandfather was so mad that he didn't allow my brother to come to my mom's funeral. Oh, my so I goodness. Was not with this drama. How do you think this is affected? Now, I know you've mentioned your sexuality already, but how do you think this has mentioned your relationships regardless of sexuality? Oh, my attachment style, for sure. When we talk about attachment styles and relationships and how we move within relationships, going through school for my undergrad is in psychology and my graduate degree is in, you know, art therapy and counseling you hear so much, you learn so much about attachment styles and I'm like, oh, I'm anxious or I'm avoidant or I'm anxiously avoidant or like I am all over the board because I mostly identify mostly as an anxious attachment because my mom left when I was a baby. Like if anyone remembers the videos in psychology class that they show you with the monkeys and then the one monkey has the mom and the other monkey has like a fake like mom that has like a it's like a robot monkey. It was like way back in the seventies. It looks disgusting, but it's like a fake monkey and the baby monkeys that had the actual mom like attached better in relationships throughout their lives because the, the babies had never been held by their mom, the other babies. And we, I remember watching those and I was like, Oh, that's in, 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 in a way where I was like, Oh, that was me okay, cool. And I would get excited to see stuff like that. Cause I was like, Oh, I didn't understand that, that that's why I felt like that. But you're also not supposed to like self-diagnose in school. <laughs> like, how could you not when it was How like, can you not? So you, you must've literally been yeah. diagnosing yourself all the live long day. A whole time. And, you know, we think about attachment and all those things and abandonment. And I would, Anytime that would come up, I was like, oh, that's, that's why my body does that. And I recently found out um, within the last few years that I had panic attacks my whole life, that I was a baby having panic attacks and not at the fault of anyone who was around me. They all did what they could. I, my aunt said that we, she's like, oh, Crystal, it was so sad. We used to cry and would like hold you and rock you and you wouldn't quit crying and you just wanted your mom and it was so sad and it's like people don't want me to talk about it because they can't handle that that was the reality like it was really hard and I can imagine it's hard to hear someone say that but like that's my truth like I live in a body now like I'm on a lot of medication now to help me like sleep and like like, balance everything out and I'm I'm sure 
Yeah. Cause like my body, like I'm a naturally shaky person. Hardly anyone that knows me knows that I am because I'm so good at hiding it because I grew up in a society that shames people for having, you know, any type of like disability or like like mental health thing or anything. Yeah, of course. And, and it's interesting because, you know, I'm very fortunate that a lot of people on the podcast speak openly about therapy, but then there's another level to medicated therapy where some people are like, yeah, you know, yeah, I see a therapist, I see a therapist. Oh no, I don't, you know, I don't need pills. Don't need medication because then that almost seems like another level. Um, did you, did you, um, obviously because you, you have to be prescribed, obviously you have to be prescribed this medication. Um, are you still seeing a therapist, a counselor, psychiatrist? I'm in between therapists right now because I went through like an income change. So another thing that I like to talk about when we talk about therapy is that it is a privilege to get therapy and it's a monetary thing in the States um, because with my Medicaid that I'm on because of my low income, it doesn't always cover therapy and you don't always get like, I don't want to say you don't always get a good therapist, but I think it's important to have a good relationship with your therapist. So I'm looking for a better therapist than I had before um, because I had some issues. So that's also something I advocate for um, is, is who you're seeing. Like, is it someone that you can trust? And then I also see a primary care physician every six months and have tests done on my body because I grow a lot of tumors, which is why I had to have a hysterectomy. So I also have a small tumor on my liver and one in my left breast. So I have like month mammogram, a six month CT scan. Um, and I always wonder if that's because of my mom, like you, because stress like manifests in the body yeah. in weird ways. So like, I'm just always, I don't know, like, I'm curious about it. My mom, I found out when I was having my hysterectomy also had something like I did but I didn't have her to like talk about it. So that was like another thing. Yeah. Uh, moving on to your hysterectomy then, because you were only 35, you hadn't had children and yet it, whether you wanted to or not, you literally yeah. now couldn't. Um, yeah. tell, tell me about what happened. Yeah. So I was having really bad periods and um, all the doctors I saw, again, I was on insurance through school. So I got to see some pretty good doctors in Chicago and everyone was like, Oh, we can take out. I had tumors growing on my uterus. They're called fibroids. Um, and I also had endometriosis really bad. And I was having like, really like my periods would last like a month, you know, just the pain. I would go to the emergency room and then spend the night in the emergency room and go to class the next day, you know, and I was always told like periods suck. Yeah. It's going to, and then I finally got sick of it. And I Googled fibroid doctor Chicago, not making that up. I remember it was like in December of one year, got an appointment with this doctor here three months later, saw him. I remember him asking me how I found him. And I said, I legit Googled you because he, you typically need a referral to see someone like him, but somehow I magically got an appointment and he was the nicest doctor I ever had. He brought me in immediately for an ultrasound Didn't make me like wait like the two weeks or schedule another appointment, did it immediately brought another nurse in the room to like be kind and like hold my hand and let me get undressed by myself, like gave me time to get dressed and then brought me into another room. Like most doctors just tell you everything when you're like on the table and you know, you got the stirrups and just a gown. And I remember he said, we need to do surgery, but I want to talk to you. 
um, anyways, I want to be able to talk to you in a, in private, you know, cause like this is big and you need surgery. So I followed him to this room and I'll never forget it. It was almost like he had a cape. He was walking so fast and we get to this room, it's a beautiful view of the city of Chicago. The whole room is full of like books and like doctor's office stuff. And it's a giant table. I sit down and he tells me I need to have surgery. There's thank you cards everywhere. And I'm like, wow, I'm in a magical land. <laughs> and I asked him and I'm really scared because I've asked for a hysterectomy before at this point. And everyone tells me no. Or even when I tried to get off birth control when I was younger, the answer was no, you, you need to be on it. And I was like, can I have a hysterectomy? And he was like, absolutely. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I was so shocked that he yeah. was so like, yeah. And he told me that he was like, it is my job to make you feel comfortable in your body. And I was just like, what? Doctors like this actually exist. And it's a male mm. doctor. I was like, mine was blown. So yeah, we scheduled it. The, his nurse stayed after we went over all the questions. She did my intake stuff. I had to have a bunch of like vitamins because I was anemic because my tumors were so bad, but yeah. I was anemic. Um, the tumors were growing around my other organs. We would find out after surgery. So I would have needed a hysterectomy anyways. So he is, was initially proposing to remove the tutoris, the tutoris <laughs> <laughs> thing for me. Yeah. And I didn't want to have kids and he was cool. He like, didn't even need an explanation. He was just, he trusted me and it was lovely and they were going to schedule it for that summer. And I remember looking at the nurse and I was like, I'm so sorry. And I was, I was remember being embarrassed that I didn't have insurance. Like it was going to end, which is terrible that society shames us for like not having access yeah. to basic healthcare. Mm. Like I could have died. And I asked her, I was like, can I maybe have it before June or May, whatever my graduation date is, because I have to, my insurance runs out when I graduate. I don't know what's going to happen next. And it seems really important. And she's like, you know what? He doesn't always work on Wednesday, but he's going to this week and I'll never forget it. And she wrote my name down and I was just like, I was so happy. I was so happy to finally be listened to. And then like, to have people being like, it's, it's okay. If you don't have any money, you're going to be okay. Like, that's so scary. Like that feeling of being like, I need money to like be alive. Um, so I cry when I talk about it because I'm so grateful for them. Um, and my surgery, my dad said it lasted three hours longer than it was supposed to, because there were so many complications. I lost a lot of blood. Um, I ended up being okay. The first thing I did when I woke up was put my hand on my stomach and I'll never forget like how much different it felt. Like I could feel the difference because that's how bad my uterus was. And everyone kept telling me it was okay. Yeah. And it was just a rock was like taken out of me. And I just remember being like, I'm going to have a, like a semi-normal life now. Like I'm not going to be disrupted by this pain. So, and blood. <laughs> It's yeah like my pain. god yeah that's and that's you know obviously is that why you would be anemic yeah yeah I was yeah. anemic because the because the fibroids they're they blood I don't really remember how it all works I kept my ovaries um I still have eggs they get released into my body and go and dissolve in my bloodstream fun fact um I learned a lot yeah I know 
I ask all the questions. So whenever my primary care doctor, I always will ask um, on my social media if anyone has any hysterectomy questions because I'm going to go talk to one that knows a lot about it. Um, I mean, I that's quite, a, you know, that's quite a serious topic. And I, and I will put your, your account on here because... I think it's one of those things, whether it's an um, elective surgery or not, or or even going through the change in menopause and everything, like people just don't really talk about it. It's okay, we can talk about it. If you want to, not everyone does too. No, <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it also, you're making me think about that, uh, the line in Friends and Rachel says, no uterus, no opinion. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And I remember it happened during the women's marches starting again. What was it like the fifth wave of feminism happening again, whatever yeah. it was. And I was in Chicago marches and they're holding signs up that say no uterus, no opinion. And I was like, but I don't have a uterus, but I have an opinion. Like where, where do I fit now? So that's again, why I'm always excited. When people want to talk to me about these things. Tell me where my community is. <laughs> yeah, God, yeah, we might have to add an, add another one into this. So, when you're because I know that you're you and your friend are going to be starting a podcast as well, and obviously you're yeah. so open on your social media and stuff. Like, why? The obvious question is why do you feel it's so important? You know, to have these conversations because people aren't talking about it, and you want to make sure that people aren't alone. And I'm not answering that question for you. Kind of have, yeah. but what I meant was was was. <laughs> Let me have a think how I'm trying to word this. Like, what has that voice done for you? You know, starting this community and and having these conversations. Not only just doing the basics, like you said, like creating community and like meeting people. I always thought when I was going through all of those hard things and continue to, Um, I remember even when I date and I'm going through a bad breakup, I always try to remind myself that people are watching me, um, whether or not I know it. And I have a lot of, a lot of friends. I have, I will say this till I die. I want to go to my funeral so bad because I have the best friends in the whole world and have all of them in one room. And because my friends are people I care so much about. I know people are always watching me. So like in thinking of other generations of people that are younger than me or older than me, or just people in the world, they can see that really bad things can happen to you, but it's also like how you choose to move through it. And yes, there are things like I have a lot of privilege in a lot of the situations that I've been in being a white presenting person and like how can I use that privilege to uplift the black community black women are believed I think a negative percent about their pain there's a percent there's a there's an actual statistic but it talks about doctors listening to black women when they talk about their period pain and it is doctors dismiss black women at a rate that is I wish I could remember the number. I have a terrible memory because of all the medication that I'm switching to, but um, please forgive me, but there is a number. And I want to also bring that into the conversation when we talk about it. Um, And then like also uplifting the trans community. Like there are more people out there like me. And if talking about it is something I want to do, yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think you'll ever be kind of over it? But I guess that's just a stupid question because- like who knows right stupid and I think that's like a natural question too because I've asked myself that but I know that there is no answer for it and I Mm. also 
wonder if my I will be over it when I die like I wonder that I wonder if there's like um because I've never died before <laughs> no <laughs> exactly and by the sounds of it your funeral is going to be banging so it doesn't matter we'll make sure you get an invite um I also just claim that <laughs> on when people are mean to me I, like my funny thing that I say now is like you're not allowed to go to my funeral if you you know if you're gonna be rude to me on my social media I, I do have a guest list now because it's gonna be amazing and it's my choice like why not so a hundred percent I'm not concerned we haven't like really talked about the hysterectomy side of things uh, because but my 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 kind of for want of a better word my f- sort of final question ab- about the the hysterectomy side of it is that how how has it affected you now you're what three years post-surgery yeah three years post-surgery um this is a great question I at the time I was my also my partner at the time got a new job and had to go away for six months of training and he missed my graduation so I defended my I dropped off to the airport went and defended my thesis the same day with my I remember my dad was visiting so then I had that um Defended my thesis, graduated the next day. And then he came back six months later. And I, during that time, had to sell our house here in Chicago. And we have relocated to Michigan. His job moved him to Grand Rapids. And we were in Grand Rapids. I stayed for until 2020, right, at the, right before the pandemic, we broke up in December 2019, January 2020. Mm-hmm. And I was going to leave. And, um, and then the pandemic happened. So um, during that time that I was in Grand Rapids for like, I think it was a year and a half, I was able to have the time because I was looking for work. Um, art therapy is viewed differently per state in the United States. So it's not viewed as a mental health profession in Michigan. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to work as an art therapist because they wouldn't let me take the, the counseling licensing board yeah. thing. So that really imposter syndrome and gross and like I my job that I had gone to school for nine years to do was viewed as a, a volunteer position yeah not recognized yeah. no so, way it's great made some great friends Nikki Eddie are my favorite people in Grand Rapids you know we have Kristen and Leslie I've made some amazing friends you know and made a bunch of changes in my life and now I'm back in Chicago getting ready to do a bunch of art gigs and like I'm so happy because I found medication and a good therapist while I was in Grand Rapids because I was having some abdominal pain we just get it checked out every once in a while and I'm good like it sounds terrible but it actually worked out in my favor to have I legit had to be like removed from a major city and like put in the country and universe was like okay now you have to take care of yourself before I let you go because I'm really conscious of time you are supposed to be working after all I asked you for a podcast or an Instagram account that you love Oh, yes. Okay. So as soon as you said that, I knew it. And I was so excited. My favorite podcast is Terrible Things for Asking. The um, person, her name is Nora McInerney. Okay. Uh, have you heard of her? No. She has an amazing talk. You, ha- you would love her. She's like the United States version of you. She does. Oh, podcast- she's not the, the blonde girl. The blonde yes. woman who spoke about her husband dying and she remarried. Yes love her she's amazing I'm I just like I love her I follow her on Instagram I'm dying for her to interview me so if she hears this 
I'm dying to have a talk with you because I, when all of that was happening, no one knew what to do with me, but someone in my class legit said to me, I don't know what to say, but I listen to this podcast and it reminds me of you. So maybe you should check it out. And it's called terrible. Thanks for asking is her podcast. And it's the idea of people asking and you're like terrible. Thanks for asking. Yeah. Because when people ask me how I was doing when my mom died and I was like, I'm kind of having a bad day. They don't know what to do with you. You know? Oh God. I was only asking to be cursory. Bye. Right. And then people say things like, but you're so strong. And I'm like, but I didn't choose this. I learned how to walk again at the end of grad school. It was like the universe was like, and now here we go. We're going to make sure that, and I didn't have a typical hysterectomy. I was like sliced open because I had an eight pound tumor attached to my uterus. So I had to like, I couldn't sit up for a long time. I had to like relearn how to walk before they would let me go home. I was in the hospital for four days working on my thesis. Like what? (laughs) and And that was in that was in the picture on your uh, that was in the picture on your Instagram because your books are there in your hospital bed and that was your thesis that you were working on in the hospital (laughs) thank you so so much Crystal I please please keep in touch I'm really looking forward to to seeing your journey and and everything and we'll we'll just we'll stay in touch and I I can't thank you enough for sharing your story Yes. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been like, this is my favorite thing that I've done in years. So thank you. And you've inspired me to revisit my thesis. I'm also writing a book of letters to my mom. So that will be out maybe next year. Yeah. Cause I didn't get to say a lot of things to her. So why not make it a book? People can buy it. Yeah. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> let's monetize, let's monetize that. Absolutely. Funny. Well, it will be on your Instagram, right? So I'll find out all about yes. it. Thank you. I love you. Thank you. Lots of love. See you. Bye. Bye.